Hey everybody, welcome to season two, episode 14 of The Hard Truth, inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Eidson, and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of Peterborough United. Darren, you just got back yesterday from uh, a couple of weeks in the UK. How was your trip? Yeah, it was productive. It was long. It was, um, you know, it was extensive. Did a, it was a three-day period there where I basically had three days in a boardroom just doing CEO interviews. Then I did a fans forum, you know, I think on the Monday of that, did a game on the Tuesday. It was it was a lot. Um, not going to lie to you. Everything with my headaches and everything else, it was just like it was on a lot. But I was I did my best. I was on fine form. I think we've got our man regards to CEO. So he'll start January the 2nd, I think, is the start date. So very happy with who we've, we've got to in the end. We've phenomenal candidates. We whittled it down from, we, we saw over 17 people and then whittled it down to a final three. And then we saw the final three a couple of days after the initial interviews. We'd set them a couple of tasks, came through that flying colours, and then we got our man. And uh, yeah, I think he, he's just what our club needs. And uh, him and his family have been moving to the area. And he's going to be shadowing, um, you know, Jim Rodwell is there at the moment and Bob Sims a little bit during December, just getting his feet under the table. And then he'll start in January. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, we're all excited, myself, Jason and Randy, by the, by the candidate. And then football-wise, what do we have? Obviously, we... Um, came over, watched us beat QPR, watched us no-show to, obviously, Swansea, which we covered on the podcast, I think, didn't we, last week? Mm-hmm. Then we played a, a very good informed Huddersfield side. Um, should have beaten them comfortably in the end. They went 1-0 up, and then we started playing again. You know, uh, late in the game, we battered them the last 15 minutes. We're, we're very good at home. Then, obviously, we, we played Fulham on Saturday. And, um, you know, you've obviously, everyone's talking about the financial disparity between, I think they were saying, Mitrovic's wages, you know, per week probably near enough cover off our first team wage bill, um, you, you, you know, and and everyone's talking that they dicked Blackburn seven nil. Everyone's thinking, oh, this is going to, but uh, no word of a lie, Phil. If you watch the game, um, I think we had twelve shots, they had eleven. I think we had six on target, they had four. Um, we deserve to win the game. I know I sound biased, but I, if you listen to the podcast, I'm not biased. I would always say when a team deserves to beat us, you know, Huddersfield. Better team for an hour, last 30 minutes, bit of confidence, bit of belief, should have won the game. Fulham throughout the game, for the first 20 minutes when they controlled it, we were excellent. And we we absolutely missed, you know, four or five sitters. Sammy's in on goal twice, one-on-one, you know, poor finishing. Jono in one-on-one twice, poor finishing. You, you know, and look, you know, I'm not digging out my players. Whether you're league one championship, those chances are the same. It's the same chances you take and And... On another day, you're 3-0 out of sight. And they go down, their one and only real chance in the game. Our goalie wasn't man of the match. You know, he didn't have that much to do. A few normal, easy saves. But they go down, they get a cross in, and Mitrovic, you know, our centre-halves decide to leave him on his own five yeah. yards out, which is unforgivable. Just and, one, one defensive lapse, and that's all it takes. And, and that's the problem. And our defenders like need to start looking in the mirror and ask themselves a question. How does the championship league and goal score find? Because he's not the most mobile centre forward. So how, how does he find himself on his own five yards from goal for a cross? And that that's happening too often. And and this is from experienced defenders, by the way. Um, so that can't happen anymore. You know, they need to, they, some of those defenders need to come out of the international break with their own mind reset. But I, I, I mentioned, I think in my little video yesterday on Instagram, um, at D McAnthony for anyone who wants to follow I do like little day after videos about the game I mentioned the word imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and I feel I feel our players are suffering a little bit from it and what I mean by that and I'm going to describe it a little bit is, is that if you watched us against Fulham 
you know, we are a very good championship football team. I know the position in the table won't dictate that at the moment. Our players are good enough to play at this level. Our players are good enough to thrive at this level. Um, and I almost feel like they're apologetic when they go out and they like, you know, if they win a game, it's like, oh my God, was that like a fluke? Um, and they deserve what they get. They played a, a, a fifth place QPR side, beat them, you know, played, a, I think it was a, Huddersfield were fifth when we played them, should have beaten them. We played one of the best teams in the league, you know, should have beaten them. You know, we drew against Bournemouth 0-0. We played West Brom, should have beaten them, lost 1-0. Our players have to realise that they've earned this place, they deserve this place, and they need to get away from feeling like they're League One at times because they are championship footballers now and they're more than good enough to be excellent championship footballers. So we're going to work on that during the international break. Going into the last international break, we were kind of like bottom and we needed to work on certain things. We came out of it and we go into this international break away from that area. And I've never ever talked about tables or being, you know, everyone else is obsessed about where we are on the table. I've never been. It's all about those baby steps. So we're making progress and, you know, and we need to work on our away form. We need to replicate what we're doing at home, away from home. So there's lots to work on, getting into the players' minds, maybe getting them a little bit of help on that front, getting them over the line. And look, guys, look at what you did with Fulham. You know, on another day, you're 3-0, you're out of sight. If you saw some of the chances we had, I mean, they weren't, some of them weren't difficult chances. We just made their goalie look unbelievable because we've headed straight against them. You know what I mean? So, so and, and those players have to figure out as well that when you get two, three chances in the game, you have to take one and convert one. Now, you say they're different kinds of chances, but because there's more at stake, because you don't get as many of those chances as you would do in League One, you know, is it easier for the players to snatch at them because they're afraid of not getting that chance again? I, maybe, maybe in a normal League One game, they might get four times the amount of chances they get. Who knows? I just know that Jono and, and Sammy Smodics are better than what they're showing in front of goal. And, you know, I look at the chances, I might be in a bit harsh with some of them, maybe. But then, you know, we've hit the bar, we've hit the post twice. You know, the goalie's made three fabulous saves. I feel we could do better. I feel we should be, you know, converting those chances. And I feel the fact that we gave them that game. And the manager was, I've never seen him as angry after the game. He was a fucking angry man at full time. He came to see me. He was angry with our defenders for letting that goal in. Because it's just like, what the fuck? Wake the fuck up and stop doing this. Uh, and he was angry at everyone's going to talk about how good we were but we're not getting anything out of the game. He was more angry about that because he's, he said even like somebody from their bench said, well done on full time. And he's like, like well, done for, well done for what? For what? I expect to win this game. And I like that about my manager. I like that. You know, he's, he's, he's irritated and angry. Like, well done for fucking what? We lost the game. So you don't get prizes or points for losing a game of football. So whilst it was a, a very good performance, it was spirited, zero was the accumulation of points. So we've had a poor week at home with one point out of two when we really should have had minimum four, maximum six. But that's good. That's building blocks. That's standards we're setting as a team. And I think we're going to get better. The next we come out of the international break, we have two away games. We have to figure out a way to win. You know, we got the win at Hull there a couple of weeks ago away. We have to follow that on now and we have to start sporadically winning away from home. We have to show up, not like what we did at Swansea. So a lot of that's down to the belief. If the players, as the manager said, if they realised how good they were, you know, instead of hoping, you know, he wants them to actually go and believe they can win. He's speaking to me the night before a game saying we're going to win tomorrow. And he's probably, he said to me, probably some of the players are going, we hope we win tomorrow. There's a difference, you know, difference between hoping and believing. So if we can get that little thing just over the line with our players, we'll win a lot of football games. So, um, but yeah, look, great crowd. That was our biggest home crowd. Fulham brought, I think, 2-8. I, I, I thought they'd bring more because QPR brought 4.5, so I was surprised at that. But our home fans pretty much bought 200 tickets. There was nothing left to sell. 
from the home fans. So our, our, our fans have been really, really supportive and really good. You know, they've come out in, 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 in droves. And it, obviously, they're not seeing a glut of goals. They're not seeing loads of wins like they're used to in League One. But they understand the level we're at. You know, I did the fans forum. That was really good. It gave fans a chance to ask questions they might want to ask about the recruitment, about stadiums, about this, about that. And, and as always, we want to be really transparent with them about everything we're doing. Um, so, no, it was, it was, it was very good, um, very exciting. We've had, there's been some nice coaching changes in, inside the club as well. Uh, one of our coaches has got a job at a Prem club because they, they want to be close to the home. So, you know, we're, 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 we're basically promoting from within, from 16s, 18s to 23s to the first team. It's a nice pathway now for our coaches who are used to working with our younger players. Um, so that's, that's really promising. Young Ronnie was called up to the under-19s again, should have been in the under-20s for me. Um, I saw a player from League One from Fleetwood was called up to the under-21s. And with all due respect, if, if that's happening, I've no idea why Ronnie's not making the under-21s, such as the level he's playing in the champ. Harrison Burrows, I was upset he wasn't called up to the England under-20 team because find me another player in that squad that's got multiple goals and assists at championship level. You know, never mind under-23 B team Premier League football. You know, what more do you have to do as a young player? So... But we keep fighting those battles. And then, um, yeah, I, I'm, of course, disappointed to fly home off a loss. But in the back of my mind, very positive about what's what's ahead. Now, when you, you you mentioned there, Ronnie, getting called up to the under-20s, do you as a club get anything that goes beyond kind of the recognition for, for one of your players being in the England setup? Not interested. Look, everyone knows how good he is. You just have to see, you know, our scout box is always full of bottom 10 Premier League clubs and top half championship clubs. There's clubs I haven't seen for a while in our director's box now. You would call them giants of the game. That's no coincidence. So for, for us, and that's not about us trying to sell the boy. It's a compliment on how good he is and how good our young players can be. So when a player like that's recognized by England, it's a proud moment for everybody, more, more importantly the player. And it's, it's recognition of the work, the manager, the staff, the, the younger coaches are doing with those young players. So long may it continue. We, we feel we've got like a, a real nucleus of young players that that could continue with. And, and, you know, out of the international break, we're going to have Ricky J. Jones and, and uh, uh, Joel Randall back from injury. And they're going to be two magnificent adjustments to the squad. Because there were times the last couple of weeks, the manager's looking to the bench and he's got more defenders and attacking players on the bench. And I'm, 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 I'm good at for him. But that's just because of the bad run and the unluckiness. And the other thing I'd say as well that's been exciting the last week is Poku's made an emergence. We didn't think he'd make an emergence till January, February. But he's obviously been thrown in early because of the injuries. And he's come off the bench against Huddersfield, come off the bench against Fulham, and done very well. Um, you mentioned the uh, the fans forum, and, and for any uh, posh fans, but anybody else who's interested, but specifically for posh fans who didn't catch it, haven't seen it, it's all on YouTube. Um, I was watching it streaming as it was uh, taking place. It was good. One of the areas of debate was around the new stadium. Yes. And there was a lot of talk about what's happening in terms of the new stadium and... Uh, you know, things kind of been in a bit of a holding pattern right now. And you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the money that a football stadium and the football club can bring into the community. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of the balance between, because people on the outside might look and say, well, should the council, and this is not just in the, the UK, the debate happens in the US as well, you know, should local government be helping private business and putting money into football clubs or sports events or arenas or things like that. So I just wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. So it's, it's massively a relevant point. And, and, and I said it during the forum that, you know, we played at Swansea in a beautiful stadium that was built by the community. And Swansea pretty much pay a small rent to play in a magnificent facility. 
we'd been to where else have we been away from home hull again community stadium phenomenal and and i think what people have to realize is if you're not a football fan and you have this thing where it's like well, we're not paying for football club we're not putting money in like anthony's pocket it's not about that we're already putting millions in your city's pocket so if you live in a city of peterborough and you own a business our football club enables you to do better particularly if you're in the hospitality industry if you own a restaurant a bar a hotel um, anything to do with hospitality or tourism that comes into Peterborough, the 25 plus home games we have a year with cups and league games brings money into your coffers. And if you took the football club out of the, say it wasn't around, say there was no Peterborough United, your turnover would be less every year. So our football club enables millions of pounds of revenue of expenditure to come into the city. When you go to a football game, it's not just the price of your ticket. It's where you park. It's the petrol you put in your car at the local petrol station. It's the lunch you go and buy locally with your family. If you come for a night away to stay down in Peterborough, you might go to a show on the Friday night. You know, you're staying in a hotel, you're staying in a and b All that revenue is created and generated by our football club being in existence. That's what I'm trying to get across. And when people start worrying about, well, why should the council give a loan? Why should the council contribute some land? Well, a state-of-the-art all-purpose stadium that not only can be have 300 events a year and constant match days and thousands of new people in the city of Peterborough is that generates millions and we're talking upwards of 20 plus million a year for the city of Peterborough itself that helps put money in the tax coffers for the city to pay for its police to pay for its public services to keep the roads well to keep the infrastructure going if you didn't have that revenue again guess what all the local residents would probably pay more council tax because the books need to be balanced so even for the people who aren't football fans if the club wasn't there, they would feel it in their pockets. So they must remember that when they're out in force worrying about money going in my pocket because it doesn't go in my pocket. The other use of having a community stadium built like that, that there's a partnership in place is the facilities that are allowed to be used, you know, that we would allow the city to use. Our foundation already runs so many programs for underprivileged youth in the city of Peterborough, all the different things we do. There's never a price put on that. But again, the financial benefit to the city, to the youth, to the youth who've maybe had problems with the law, problem with alcoholism, problem with addiction. That's the work we do as a football club. So we talk about American sports. Let me put it this way. I went to Las Vegas three weeks ago to see the boxing. And on the Sunday, the Raiders, who are now the Las Vegas Raiders, they used to be the Oakland Raiders and they used to be the LA Raiders. They've built a $2 billion stadium and they've moved all the way from Oakland and California to Las Vegas. And the reason they did it was because the city mayor of Oakland thought it was cool to go, we're not giving you any funding for a new stadium. And if you want to move, move. Well, they went, okay, fine. Las Vegas and the community of Vegas put up a billion dollars for that stadium to be built. And the reason they did it was because as me and Natalie were at that hotel on the Saturday, we could see thousands of Raiders fans had come in for the weekend and they were staying on the Saturday and Sunday just to come and watch the Raiders game. How much money goes into the city of Las Vegas because the Raiders now have an all-purpose built stadium in the center of Las Vegas playing NFL? Look. It's apples and oranges compared to the posh. The Raiders probably bring in, I don't know, it's probably worth, I would, I would estimate 300 million a year to the city of Las Vegas. So basically they've come up with a billion dollars to buy future income for their city. It's called an investment. All city councils should be looking at it that way. So that's when I get angry about why haven't we got land sorted out? Why haven't they offered us an interest free? You know, our city was given interest free loans to four star hotel groups coming in and building hotels. What's the difference? You now need some people to fill those hotel rooms. Right. And we generate we, we, we generate more. You know, our new stadium would generate hundreds more jobs. 
never mind the construction sector, sector in the industry itself, never mind the rates, the taxes we would then pay, never mind the daily consumption and the money spent in the city itself. It's an absolute no-brainer. We estimated over it was 10 years, it was something like 300 million would come into the city of Peterborough just from that new stadium. So if the council had to give us land and give us an interest-free for life loan of, I don't know, 25, 30 million as a down payment on a 60, 70 million pound stadium, it's massive financial benefit to the city. It's not gone into my pocket. It's gone into a brand new all-purpose built stadium. So this isn't about financial gain for me or my partners. This is about moving the club on to the next level. So because the other thing you would definitely have at the moment, we could easily get 12 and a half, 13,000 in our stadium on those busy match days. We don't always have the facilities, but with families and everything else, we know for a fact, Phil, all day long, we'd be in 17,000 most home games. We'd be selling bigger away allocations, less prices. We'd be getting a lot more families who don't like our current stadium because of the facilities that would come to the new one. We would be hitting 16,000, 17,000 every home game. So even more millions in revenue and match day for the city. It's mad. It's baffling, really. And so right now, it's just a bit of a wait and see, like a bit of an impasse. Wait and see, wait and see, wait and see, wait and see. Yeah. And no more money being spent by us because you can spend money and spend money and spend money. But what's the point if there's no actual things? Look, Randy's working on it all. He'll get it all figured out. That That's his big pet project. And in the meantime, we focus on where we are, focus on we're going to have to spend money on that stand and convert it into seats for next year in the championship. So we put plans in place for all of that. We're probably going to have to make a few improvements around our ground if we are going to be, let's say it's going to take another three years for the new stadium, possibly four. We're going to have to make our place a little bit nicer over the next four years for the clientele we do have and to try and get in some more clientele. So let's talk about football this week and results that we've seen because I know that that's a topic that we could probably go into in in even more detail. How did Bradford get on in the cup? We It's probably the worst possible result. We drew one all at home to Exeter. So it's one of those where you either want to win or you want to lose because you don't really want to go on a Tuesday night down to Exeter. <laughs> and of course, you know, it's the last two minutes, last three minutes that they equalized. But we played pretty well. You know, since the switch in formation, we've had Swindon, Forest Green, Exeter, you know, three tough games and we've we probably deserve to win all three of them. So um, I think there was still positives to come out of the result. Just one of those frustrating things that, you know, we just game management, see it over the line, and we just couldn't get there. Could you watch the game because it was on the FA Cup? Yeah, the magic of, magic of the FA Cup means I can't watch it. <laughs> um, so I had to listen. So, you know. You should get Ryan to share it. The owners would have a streaming uh, thing through that. You should just get on to Ryan, do you a favor, you know, and get the old link shared with you so you can log in. There you go, Ryan, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I didn't get to watch that, unfortunately. But no. Not too bad. I think optimism is increasing again. We're getting some of the injuries back, and we'll see. We'll see where we go from there. Who's who's your standout player this season that you'd sell in January? Who is a standout player? Yeah, that you would get big bids for. Nobody at the moment that we would get big bids for. You know, I think that um, Levi Sutton, who's a midfielder, um, has done really well since he came into the team. Last four or five games, got man of the match in most of them. You know, he's barely been like a box-to-box midfielder that we've missed. Um, so he's done well. Uh, Niall Canavan, when he's at centre-half, I mean, he's not you're not going to get any money for him. But uh, there's a marked difference in our uh, defensive quality when he's in the back four versus, or back five, as it's been, um, versus when he's been injured. Charles Vernon is another one who, um, you know, whenever he gets the ball, he looks dangerous, so he makes things happen going forward. Those are probably the three that stand out to me. You know, it's funny, you, you and I talked about Leanne Gold before because obviously his history with Posh and 
he looked good when he was around and then got injured after three games and has been out since. So he came back off the bench on Saturday. It's like, Lee, you've got to get fit, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're like a different player when you get fit, you know? So, Jesus. Either he'll really be like a new signing or he'll get injured again in a fortnight and we'll be lamenting, you know, That's having the problem. no strikers. So we'll see. <laughs> it, there's hardly a week that goes by when I don't think about the discussion we had just before transfer deadline day. And, you know, the impact that a goal scorer would have, because from an XG perspective, we're top of League Two and actually by quite some distance. Right. You know, we just haven't been finishing. Okay. Well, look, you got, what is it now? Eight weeks, seven weeks to the window. Mm-hmm. So, you, you, you know, as that time goes by, you get closer to the window, you, you know, and you're still within touching distance. It gives you a chance to reboot. Um, what else did we have? So let's go in the prim. Let's uh, talk prim Liverpool. Three. I watched that game last night. Yeah. Not, and, not, a, uh, not a good one for you guys. No, they were crap. Absolute crap. I mean, I, I you know, Liverpool fans are too kind. Like, Alisson was a disgrace. That was his worst game for Liverpool. I mean, our fans love him so much. They're like, let him off the hook with loads of mistakes he makes. For me, he makes too many at times. You know, the um, the Man City goalie's miles better for me than him. And um, I thought all three goals, he was at full three yesterday, yeah. And, and... But the real concern for Liverpool is, forget about the fact their midfield was useless and, and they're having issues there with injury. We all knew in the summer when they saw Wijnaldum left, they needed to get someone of that quality in. And it's why they won't win the league title. That, and what's happening now is, because the midfield's so weak, it's making the defence look horrible. They're conceding a lot of goals. Like, this back four is the same back four that won the title and had one of the best defences in the league. But because of the weakness in front of them, you know, Henderson's not his best. You know, Thiago's, for me, I, I don't know what to make of him. Do you know what I mean? He's either when he's injured, he's there for nine weeks, and then he's all fur coat, no knickers when he comes in the team. Um, Fabinho not playing at his level. Um, and then around that, you got Milner's injured. Curtis Jones is injured. The young boy, Harvey Elliott's injured. you got Oxlade-Chamberlain, for me, who's now, he's not a top five Premier League club player anymore. All the injuries have taken toll on him. So, and, and the biggest concern for me is Andy Robertson's miles off his best at the moment. He has not been good. Liverpool fans were honest with themselves. He's been part of the problem where he's not been his fluid self going forward, not a strong defensively. So they, they look, you know, Chelsea, Man City are going to win. Now, it's, it, for me, it's not a three-horse race. And that's not just because of the defeat yesterday. It's the goals we're leaking. We've played the top three above us already this season. And we've got two points in those three games. Mm-hmm. And two of those games are at Anfield. You're not winning a league title when you're doing that against the people around you. So we play Arsenal and Exeter in great form. And I worry about Liverpool. Um, yesterday looked a lot like that run we were on when we lost six in a row at home. It was it was it was stale. It was flat. It was no plan B. It was just stick the ball in the box against very very competent West Ham defenders. Although West Ham were value for money, they were, they could have had three more goals in the counter attack. They looked more far more threatening on the attack than we did. Now that was poor. That's got to be a real warning sign for Klopp now coming out of that international break because the funny thing is I thought we looked better in the Champions League than we do in our league. Um, you, you, you know, you, you, you throw a 2 0 away against Brighton at home, you know, you, you go away to West Ham and you lose. Not good, not good. Did, did you catch the uh, Man United Man City game? I know it was Saturday afternoon before your game. I watched it before my game in my office. Man United, they're in players embarrassing themselves. The owners of the football club are embarrassing themselves, keeping them as manager. Everyone knows, everyone knows in football, and if everyone knows in football, all the players know. You know, that he is not winning a league title with Man United. So why hire a manager? If you don't want to win a league title, come out and tell your fans. You're certainly buying the players and spending the money that says you want to win a league title. So, you know, do something. 
when they showed afterwards, it was good. The, the analysis, I forget if it was BT or Sky, the analysis afterwards showing the sprints from the Man City players versus Man United. You've got one manager who gets every ounce out of his players, a la Pep Guardiola. And you've got the other manager where only Ronaldo had the most sprints. No one else in that team sprinted throughout the game. And then they showed clips. And you got Bruno jogging to people. Juan Basaka jogging towards people. And then Man City run, sprint, win the ball back, win the ball back. And these are already champions. And they made it look so easy. Like It looked like it was Premier League team playing against the National League team in the Cup. 700 passes. 700 passes. And you know why it was easy? Because they ran three times as hard as the United players. You know, sometimes someone said this to me once, football's as simple about run, outrunning your opposition and outworking them. And the Man City players, even as league champions, even played as well as they, they put that, they put a pin in that fallacy about, you know, when you get paid the big bucks, you don't run as hard as everyone else. Well, that Man City team runs harder than everyone else. And, you know, Solskjaer is a lovely man and you don't want to see someone lose their job, but he's utterly useless and, and will not win that league title. So I don't know what they're waiting for. Yeah, I read a suggestion today that because Ed Woodward is leaving as well in uh, at the end of the year, perhaps it's kind of related to that and he doesn't want so, to make so, so, so if you own the club, that's not the CEO's job then. You get on to your CEO, whether he's now going CEO or not, go, hey, do your fucking job and sack the manager. Go get me Brendan Rodgers. You know, go get me whatever. Go make the change. I have a feeling Brendan Rodgers is going to end up at Manchester United by January. Talking about managers, uh, talk about a merry-go-round. It feels like mm. every, every other club pretty much has uh, changed their manager over the last few days. Lordy November. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> we had, uh, where are we? We had um, Daniel Fart going from Norwich. We got Spurs get Conte. Um, we got today, we're recording this on Monday, Eddie Howe has been... Uh, and Dean, Dean Smith Smith's gone, Eddie yeah. Howe's in. We have uh, uh, Neil Warnock lost his job at Middlesbrough, which shocked mm-hmm. us all on Saturday. Chris Wilder's back in, so there's like five, six changes right there. So go through them one by one. First of all, actually, I want to ask something about timing. So you had uh, Warnock lose his job before kickoff. You had Fark lose his job right after full time. What, what do you make of sacking the manager on game day? So I think it's all to do with the international break. I've sacked the manager on game day. I've done a few sackings, usually after the result, not before. But I've known before the result. Like Steve Evans, I knew I was going to sack. Even if we, we were fifth or sixth and we had Charlton. Even if we'd beaten Charlton, he was still going. But I was like, it was the Friday I'd made the decision. So I was like, you know what? You get on with taking the team. Eager results out or not, you got to go. That's what I, he didn't know before the game, but obviously afterwards he did. So the Norwich one, I don't think he knew. Neil Warnock knew. Um, which I was surprised he took the team, but he's a professional. Well done to him. Um, Dean Smith didn't know, but he's lost five in a row and he's got some very wealthy owners. So he's got to have known something was up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's go through them. Newcastle, Eddie Howe's a good appointment. He's a good fit. Um, I don't think anyone else wanted the job at the moment that was high caliber. I think Eddie's been out long enough. He's getting to the point where another year and he'd be going down the Alec, Alan Kerbersley route where you get forgotten about. And suddenly you're 20 years outside of management from being a very good manager. Can I ask on how, on Eddie, how do you, so do you look at a manager and say you haven't had a job for, because he has been out for a couple of years, you know, have you lost it? Have not lost it in terms of, you know, to be a manager, but just the situational awareness of, um, you know. I think you you worry if someone's not managed for three years, that's a worry. If someone's 18 months, 20 months, no, young enough. And Eddie has young enough and he's stayed relevant. He's been on Sky. He's, you know, he's been out and about. He's done his media work. So, that's fine. But he needed a job. I know he he messed Celtic around or he took his time with Celtic and they didn't get that job. And I thought to myself, what are you doing here, pal? 
I know he's a homebody. He wants to, you know, his family are important to him, Bournemouth. But when you're a football manager, you're a nomad. You have to go where the job is, the business is. So I hope it works for them because they're obviously the owners there are having a hard time at Newcastle. They haven't got a technical director. I think they're trying to bring in the ex-Chelsea guy who had a massive fallout, that Michael Amola or whatever his name is. So that'd be interesting. Um, there are, I would say that Amanda Staveley and those in and around there are probably under pressure now. You know, you got to get a technical director in. you got to get a manager in. You know, it's been there three, four weeks. What are you waiting for? It's like the reality. You know, you all, reality hits. It's the reality. you got all this money. You know, what, what are you waiting for? Go make some key changes. But I guess, look, they've done it now. And, and I wish Eddie Howe well because I like him. And um, I'm not, you know, we spoke before last week about, you know, in six weeks' time, they're going to have to get four or five through the spine if they want to stay in the league. Um, if they don't, they've got no chance of staying in the league. You, you think he will survive relegation? I think if he gets... If he gets four or five in, like we've gone through, and we mentioned, you know, about Jesse Lingard and a centre half, a central midfielder, and you know, whatever else, some key players in the spine. If he does, they stay up. If he doesn't, no fucking chance. No way. Does he, as a manager, survive that? Uh, no, I, I don't know. He's probably perfect for them to come back up from the champ. We spoke about that last time. So, but I would imagine knowing that with new owners and all the wealth, that if he doesn't do well and they go down and they rock it down, he'd be gone. So, you know, Newcastle fans might have to actually bite their fingernails for a while as they might go through two or three managers before they finally get the one. There might be, and, and when you get new owners go in or a bit inexperienced, you know, a few bad results and suddenly they get nerd. You know, they'll, they'll learn quickly on the job, but maybe their first year and a half, they might make some real bad mistakes. Because like I've said, I've come from that perspective where you're new and it's fresh and, you know, you, 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 you press the button when you shouldn't have and fire people maybe when you shouldn't. Experience is a great thing when you own a football club. So when you are new, who do you listen to? Like, who did you listen to? Myself. I'm, I'm my own biggest fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so Barry Fry wasn't in my ear telling me to fire people. Um, you know, that was my own instincts. I guess what I didn't have was I probably didn't talk enough to the people around me, but a lot of them were non-football people. So it's always difficult. And then when you're a wealthy owner coming in, they probably have a lot of agents hanging around them. Well, I've got this manager and I've got this manager. And, oh, did you hear what's going on in your training ground? Oh, did you hear the latest? You know, eventually as ownership goes year by year, you rise away from that shite. You suddenly see through it. You realize, you know, people have got an agenda. It's why they're like saying this shit. So New- Newcastle will be fine, but it's going to take a little while. It's going to take a minute. I imagine it'll be hard to, to, to know who to trust and who's telling the truth versus who's stirring the pot. Don't trust anybody. There's too much money on the line. And, and everyone has an agenda now financially. You know, so I, if I were them, I'd be very, you have your inner circle, hire your technical director, hire really good people in key positions, and don't trust anybody outside of that. Don't hire a technical director because the agent that's friends of yours, a friend of someone you know has, has said this, that, whatever else. Stay away from that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, see for yourself. Your own, li- your own eyes won't tell lies. So uh, we have uh, Spurs getting their man in Conte, which seems like maybe if they'd have made that call in the summer, they'd have saved themselves. I don't think he wanted to go there in the summer. I don't think he wanted to go. I think he was hedging his bets with United. And I think when he realized United were never going to let go of Solskjaer, he thought, fuck, I've been out of work six months. You know, I need to get back in. Fair play to Conte because that's a tough project. You know, it's not the most exciting squad. There's a lot he's got to reinvigorate to get going there. I think they drew yesterday or whatever it was. So... Um, it will be interesting the first two transfer windows to see what Conte is like after those windows because he is that type of manager. If he doesn't get the four or five, because they're going to need the next two windows, January and the summer. And I would imagine he's going to need upwards to eight, nine, ten players in of his own ilk and style, the way he wants to play. And if he doesn't get them, it's going to be Harry Carey there. 
Um, and then so Norwich sacked Fark, which um, right choice, you know, right yeah, decision. It, it's one of those things. If they'd have made it the week before, or in midweek, or anything, nobody would have said anything. Listen, they didn't think they were going to win. They, you know, I think it was a shock on the owner's face that they won on Friday, on Saturday. They'd made a decision by Friday. Stuart Weber, I believe, obviously spoke to the owners and said, "Look, we got to change this up. This is two times we've been in the prem with this guy. He's clueless. He's not going to keep us up." And I would, if, I, if that was my point of view, I would have said to the owners, it doesn't matter if we beat Brentford. That's just look. We need to press the reset button. I hear they're going for Lampard. Bad call for me because if that happens, you know, I'm, well, I, I don't think they're going to do well. We've talked about that before. If they get Dean Smith, they've got a chance. I, I do rate Dean Smith. He's had a bad run at Villa, adjusting to losing Grealish and everything that's happened. But I think he'd be a better bet than Lampard. Did Dean Smith like create a rod for his own back by doing so well last season? Um, yeah, and I think he's got wealthy owners. But look, they sold their best player, but they did spend the money. Now, if they'd gone out and say, we've got 100 million for Grealish, we spent 90 of that. If they'd gone out and spent 200 million this summer, I would maybe agree. So I, I would go back to the Villa people and go, well, well, hang on a second. We actually had a net, you know, pretty much a net surplus here. We had a profit in the trading in the summer. So yes, we're 15. Yes, we've lost five in a row. Excuse me. Yes, we've had some injuries. I'm going to win the next three games after the international break. Give me them. If not, I'll walk. So maybe a little bit hard done by, but maybe they're looking at, Maybe Villa have got the Ryan a manager. They feel they can't wait another three weeks. Right. Who knows? Who knows what's going on in that managerical merry-go-round? Do you know what I mean? You know. So, so it'll be interesting to see it again. I, I saw Gerrard's name was linked with it today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's a job Stevie Gerrard would want. You know, what's the expectation of Villa? As much as you got wealthy owners, what is it? Top four, top six. Yeah, I imagine so. Especially given the the relative success that they had last year. Yeah, they had a great season last year. Um, you know, do we, you know, last year had no fans. How much better were teams without fans and how worse were teams like Liverpool without their fans? You know, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? If you take out that and you put fans back in, what was the last season have looked like? Do you think that's a, a player mindset? Um, you know, whether they're either they can't play in front of crowds or they can? I, I do. We, we have a player, I'm not going to name them, who, who was brilliant for us last year. And I think there was a big part of that was there was no fans. And, and, you know, can sometimes maybe wilt when the, the, you know, the fans are there and whatever else. And I'm, I'm not having a go about that. That's just a normal mental thing. That's mental. That's not physical. That's not, are you a good player? Not a good player. That's mental. Sometimes you, the fan expectation, the pressure, you can't do it. Sometimes, you know, if the fans turn on you, you can't do it. That's the way football is. Do you know what I mean? So it's interesting. Liverpool would never have lost six in a row at Anfield with a full Anfield. They don't give a fuck how many injuries they had. You know what? They'd have felt greater accountability to the fans, I think, to not do that. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. When you look at those six 1-0 losses against the calibre of opposition they played, you know, you can't tell me some of those teams wouldn't have gone under with 50,000, 55,000 Anfield, you know, people screaming. So, no, it plays a big part on it. So, look, it's it's silly season. Managers are losing their jobs quickly. Um, the, the Middlesbrough one's interesting. So, Steve Gibson's obviously going to have a right go. He's obviously got ambitious again because to bring in Chris Wilder and get rid of, you know, you know Uncle Neil, to do that, you know, and I know they kind of slid back down to wherever they are on the table, but they were on a good run. Um, yeah, uh, he's obviously going to have a right go in January, Steve Gibson, because why else would you do that? To bring in a manager of the caliber of, of, of Chris Wilder. Wow. And that just shows you as well how difficult the market is that Wilder took the Middlesbrough job. Right. It's how, I mean, it's no disrespect to Middlesbrough, but, you know, he's fallen to take that job versus what he could have got himself the West Brom job he didn't get the, you know some of the Premier League clubs that came down he didn't get you know so so listen 
that's interesting. You know, Gibson must be promising Wilder a, a proper recruitment budget and a proper change. So that that'll be really interesting for sure. You had uh, Barnsley sacking uh, Marcus Chop as well. Correct, and then they win the next game. Typical. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who's gone for the Barnsley job? Um, I'm not sure if they filled it yet, have they? Oh, no, I don't think so. So that'll be an interesting one. Um, lower down the leagues, we had Dave Challoner leaving Hartlepool for Stockport. Uh, 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 sorry, run that by me again? I did not see that. Yeah, Dave Challoner. So he he walked out on Hartlepool to go to Stockport. Wow. Well, Stockport, I mean, deep pockets. Yeah, I watched the um, I watched the last 20 of them against Bolton in the FA Cup yesterday, so Sunday as we recorded this. And, you know, Stockport looked a proper team. They didn't look out of their depth against Bolton, which had me thinking again, that gap between National League and even League One, it's not that big of a gap. Tiny, tiny. That's some quality teams down there. Um, and then we had, who else left? Neil Cox left from Scunthorpe. Keith Hill coming in. Um, Scunthorpe not going so well, but we've talked before about the kind of, the pulled the uh, pulled the money out. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that was the right move for them because you wouldn't put a young manager into that horror show at the moment, whereas Keith Hill's that savvy old dude who would probably like steer them to safety. Uh, who else is losing their job? What's your next prediction? Who's your next manager to go? Um, next manager to go in, let me have a look. So in the, I'm looking at the Premier League right now. Let me get the table out here as well. Who's under pressure? I mean, he'll never get sacked at Leeds, will he? Because they all love him with Bielsa. Rafa? Next, next job in the Premier either Rafa or Ole. Championship. Championship. All right. You're, uh, Throwing things at me here. Let me have a look at my championship table. Who hasn't been sacked? Um, I, I, the chap at Sheffield United's got to be on borrowed time. He's not doing well. Where are they? Where they're, are they in the league? They're 18th on 19.17 games and uh, won one in five at the moment. You know, I don't know how much time they give that, given how obviously. I mean, we talked about it right at the beginning of the season. I think everyone had high expectations for Sheffield United to bounce back. 100%. So he, he could be your favourite there. I don't know who else to add to that, but he would definitely be in there. He, he's he's obviously got issues at the moment. League One, who have you got? League One. Let me see if I've got a League One table. This is like this is like the November sack race, isn't it? <laughs> I know, isn't it? So looking <laughs> at League One, um, who's, who's not doing well? Your mate at Gillingham? Yeah, Steve Evans. Steve- yeah, they're 19th right now. Um, you know, I, I'm looking above them, and I think that you know Cheltenham's going to be safe, Bolton's safe, Portsmouth safe. Um, Gillingham is the one that stands out to me. Who else is down the bottom? You got in the bottom four. You got Crew, Doncaster, Fleetwood, and Shrewsbury. So I would go. I would say Steve or the Donny. Manager, who was before that? You just said uh, Fleetwood and Shrewsbury. Uh, there was one other one there you named. So the bottom four is Crew, Doncaster, Crew, Shrewsbury, Crew potentially. So yeah, so you would say Donny, Crew, or Steve. Unfortunately, they don't start winning. Yeah, and then League Two, Stevenage manager for me, I would say. Yeah, Alex Ravel, which is a, which would be a surprise given. I mean, we but he, he did really well, but they're on a horror run at the moment it would be the him and the Mansfield manager I would imagine that yeah Mansfield in 20th although Mansfield beat Sunderland in the cup 
on um, Saturday. They did, they did, but they're built on wanting to get promoted out of that yeah. league, and they've not been good, have they? And it's a surprise every year. You know, every year you have high expectations that this is the year for Mansfield. I would, I would throw Lee Johnson. He's got to be in that mix, hasn't he, for League One? Because they've now lost what four or five out of the last six games. Mm-hmm. They're, they're on a sticky wicket at the moment, and obviously you've got now a new owner. Big expectations, you know. There's a term we spoke about. Does it go toxic if you keep losing? So you know, another couple of losses, and he could be rivaling any of those people near the bottom for losing your job. Is November the uh, itchy trigger finger time? I think for people, yeah, because they look at January as a new window. And what you don't want to do is, if you're a little bit uncertain or unsure in your manager, the last thing you want to do is bring in more players from and then get rid of them in February. So I think, you know, leading up to Christmas is when a lot of panic starts going off. So it'll be be interesting. The next four weeks is the danger time for anybody that's in a precarious position. Not a good time to go on a bad run. No. And if your chairman's telling you that he's not planning to back you in January, there's a reason. Because he's hope, he's thinking you're not going to be there. <laughs> Back in the day, you know, would you already be putting me in plans just in case? You know, would you start to have conversations or is it more internally? Like, these are some people I would maybe reach out to. I usually got through Christmas to see where we were and if it was looking we were going to be strong in the second half. If I wasn't loving the football, if I wasn't getting on with the manager, I'd get through the busy Christmas period and then early January I start making my mind up who I'm meeting, who I'm talking to. And then that comes first before I sack the manager because I have to make sure I have a plan B. I know that sounds dirty and, and, and downright not right, but that's just the industry and way it is. And anyone I fire is going to get paid, so happy days for them. You know what I mean? It's not like they're walking out the door with nothing. The transfer window changed things because it's not even that you can go and get somebody on loan. You know, you can't, there's no, once you set with those players, you set with those players. And that's, that's for the confidence of, you know, you've got to be, uh, you got to be guaranteed you're going with your manager for the rest of the season because he's going to play a big part in your window in January. You're both going to talk about who you're bringing in, speak to players. They're going to speak to your manager. You know, to suddenly bring all these players and then go get a new manager after the fact makes no sense whatsoever. You know, because you, you recruit to the formation you play, you recruit to the style you play. If you go and get a completely different manager, it's like, am I recruiting for a Steve Evans or am I recruiting for a Darren Ferguson? It's two different types of managers. Do you know what I mean? So, so it just depends. Um, but yeah, I would say the most dangerous time is from now till the end of December <laughs> for a manager. Yeah, you know, a couple of times we have sacked our managers uh, recently, like the first week after the close of the transfer window, and you just shake. That your makes head. no sense. No, that that's bad management, and that makes no sense. And look, I've probably been guilty of that as well because you're reactive and you don't think at the time. So, but that again shows you why we're all lunatics running football clubs sometimes. Some of the stupid decisions we make. Um, and as I look through the FA Cup, uh, shout out to Port Vale uh, beating Accrington 5-1. They're flying. They're flying, Port Vale. Absolutely flying. Fair play to them. Well-run club. Yeah, we have them away on Saturday. Oof, they're in good form. That's going to be a tough one. Mm. Who else Who else did knock surprises out? Obviously, Mansfield, brilliant. Well done. Anyone else in there? Mansfield, we talked about Stockport getting a 2-2 at Bolton. Um, special shout out, especially given my views on Forest Green to St. Albans City. We're beating Forest <laughs> Green 3-2 yesterday. You enjoyed that, did you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I shouldn't take pleasure. I think it's very childish. Uh, but, um, you know. dirty dog. <laughs> um, what else did we have? Um, your two rivals against each other, Northampton and Cambridge. Yeah, I, I, I don't look for the results. <laughs> it's a draw, was it? Yeah. And, you know, there wasn't really that many other surprises. There were 11 goals at Halifax, so i got to shout that one out. They had uh, they beat Maidenhead 7-4. So I oh, guess that was the game. place to be. 
score score army or whatever they call it you know you've like weird scores that's pretty cool so uh, yeah i think that wraps us up i'm not sure when the second round draw is i've got to think it's in the next day or two it's usually i i long, long may i continue that i don't worry about first and second round draws <laughs> long may that continue <laughs> i'm waiting for a third round matchup at uh, london road can you imagine? Right? You'd have to fly over for that, wouldn't you? Yeah, You'd have definitely. to be my guest for that game. We'd have to do a live podcast from my office on the day of the game. You know what I mean? Like before halftime and full time. Yeah, just, <laughs> you know what? One of us might not want to do that after the full time one. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> um, uh, classic. Now, when I look at some of the other topics going on right now, uh, yeah. TV money in the Premier League. So yeah. I think about, maybe it's today or tomorrow, it's around now when they're supposed to announce the, the winning bidder for the US rights for the Premier League. And there's been a lot of talk about, you know, an expectation that this would be a bonanza for the Premier League, put things back on track again. And then I was hearing murmurings the last few days that maybe the, the amounts weren't going to be where they wanted them to be. Yeah. Is, is, is that, has that been confirmed? I haven't seen anything because I thought that it was today, Monday, the day we record, or tomorrow. So maybe so you reckon you reckon they've undersold. You reckon they've got less than before. I wonder. You know, you wonder who's in the market to. I think they went into it the Premier League saying well, we've got eleven, twelve bidders. All these different companies want the rights. And from what I was reading over the weekend, it's well, maybe there's two that really do because the rest are tapped out. Well, right now, Peacock cover all the games, don't they? Mm -hmm. You know, the MSNBC, they have like two live on their network, but then Peacock, the streaming service, has every other game on a Saturday and Sunday. So whoever it is, I hope they stream them all and they have all the games because I love the fact that I can get access to every game out here. Do you know what I mean? And, and I've always said this, if Apple and Amazon were clever or even Netflix, they'd go and buy the rights to these things and start getting sports fans subscribing to their things. You know, Apple are the ones who should own all of this. It's actually pretty incredible that, you know, you come over here and into the States, you can watch more Premier League football than you can when you're in England. I have to use like a VPN when I'm in England sometimes to watch games back in America that I can't watch on a Saturday in England. I shouldn't say that out loud, but I actually <laughs> do that through my subscription service because I get every game here, you know, so it, it is madness, absolutely, to be fair. That's interesting. Let's see what the... I, I know the answer to this, but I can't talk about it because it's not out yet. Right. Well, it'd be interesting then to see it coming out. I'll be watching for it to come out, and then I can ask you about it. <laughs> um, what else have we got going on? So we had um, talk of tougher penalties for clubs who actually appeal the points penalties of going into administration. Um, and I think penalties for the administrators themselves for putting no, the clubs uh, You know, I, I, I think you can make them pay for everything if they don't win. Um, but I don't think you should have tougher like sanctions against them. I think everyone's you know allowed an appeal process, uh, and I think that would be a very unfair to go because at the moment, like if we, when John and I got the four match ban off the FA, they were like, you can appeal, but there's no guarantee your appeal won't go up to a five or six match ban, and it's like fuck off. Do you know what I mean? So so you know harsher sanctions for me, nah, that's wrong. No, pass. So we've got a couple of questions I'm going to uh, pose over to you. We have uh, one from Matthew on email um, said that uh, having watched Posh, and this is actually going back a couple of weeks at Reading and Coventry, as well as standing on the London Road Terrace, you get a greater view of what's going on in the game across the whole pitch higher up. Do you have a view on coaches, whether they're sat up in the stands or on the touchline? So my, yeah, my gaff always has um, one member of his in, inner sanctum sat behind me in the director's box watching the game, who then pop down at halftime and give their own interpretation of what they can see. The gaff occasionally will do a half up 
And he finds nowadays he's too animated to stay there. He always ends up going down halfway through the first half. Do you know what I mean? So I think any nowadays everything's about analysis. As long as it's not paralysis by analysis, you know, and, and where you're like, what do we do? What do we do? I think, you know, any little inch that can help, definitely I agree with it. Um, and we have a question from, let's see, from Joshua on email. He says, uh, I'm a football player playing non-professional men's team in the U.S. Um, you know, we've talked on the pod a lot about your thoughts on the structure of the U.S. game. But he asks if you have any thoughts on how you'd actually start up a club, start and run a club in the States. He says he's looking to start up his own club, found the podcast, really enjoyed it. And any tips or advice you can give? Yeah, so you can, I think they've got like USL uh, League One and League Two, they have below the, you've obviously got the USL Championship and then there's like one and two below that, which are like C and D teams. And I've said, you know, it's not a proper pyramid, but if you wanted to start up, you, you, you'd need to have seven figures. You definitely need to start with a million to be like a third division club, Joshua. So, you know, go do a crowdfundy page, see if you can get there. But it's not easy setting your own club up. It's not like England where you could do a Wimbledon and, you know, was, yes, they did it with plenty of money, but you could go and start and tap not step nine or step ten or however low it goes and start your own team to try and climb the pyramid quite easily in the, in the UK. Yeah, you know, when I think of the US, there's only one team that really comes to mind that have been s- relatively successful in doing that, which is Detroit City. And I, I say that because I know from coming from Detroit originally or living in Detroit for a long time, they were really successful in building a community club there. But it still only has its limits because that's never going to get you into MLS. Whereas Cincinnati were able to do it, but then they were able to get an owner's group who had the money who could then get them into MLS. But that's when you're talking hundreds of millions. You need your 300 million license, your, your dollar license deal. So yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult. And that's why there's no romanticism in, in, in US soccer. Because they don't have the pyramids, you can't mention the word romantic. It's just all money. And, you know, when you play a stupid system with no relegations and you're guaranteed you could finish winning two and losing 12 and be in the fucking playoffs, it's just absolutely, it's bizarre. Yeah, they just had yesterday the, um, I won't profess to know the all the ins and the outs, but it was the finalizing the standing so you get to the playoffs. And so basically half the clubs and and producer Henry who has an MLS show is going to butcher me for how I'm trying to explain this but essentially it seems like half the clubs in the league still qualify for the playoffs so you wonder kind of what's the point of the season it's ridiculous they reward losing I don't I don't don't like rewarding losing so you know absolutely bizarre I'll, I'll say it till whenever I don't agree with the system over here I think the minute they change it it becomes it could potentially be a trillion dollar industry the soccer industry in America and I'm not sure any of them realize what they're sitting on. Well, there's a lot of demand. And I mean, and I guess the the unknown outcome of this Premier League deal will, is another signal as the demand that there is for uh, for football in America. Absolutely. So, so many things that go right in this. Soccer is ready. I'm calling it soccer because that's what the Yanks like to call it, soccer. It is ready to be a top four sport here. It's ready to dethrone a baseball or a basketball. It's getting close. I've been here 16 years now. You know, when I came here, you couldn't even get the World Cup, uh, all the games on ESPN. Um, now it's just wall-to-wall coverage, and I mean, it's exploded. Games, games, games. And, and if they had a pyramid that was exciting and they had a, an FA Cup going down the lower leagues and the top league and the pro, you know, they could really, really do it well. It's a real shame. So uh, anyway, here's what it is. Well, on that note, let's wrap up for this week. Um, we are also going to take the international break off. So we'll be back in two weeks' time. 
until then, everyone keep those questions coming in. Um, you can go to hardtruthfootball.com slash contact or email us contact at hardtruthfootball.com. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks a lot for your time, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye.